Open your Bibles with me today to the letter of James. Today I want us to look at James chapter 1, verse 1, and then next week, Lord willing, James 1, verses 2 through 12. Today, looking at three pandemic people God greatly used, and then next week, how we can endure the trials um, as God would have us to through the pandemic trial we are facing. This morning, three pandemic people greatly used by God. James 1, verse 1, hear God's word. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. It's a great introduction of three people. Introductions are important. One of our church members uh, was away on business, and while they were away on business in another state, uh, they attended another church, and after church, they greeted the pastor, or the pastor greeted them, and as they were talking, uh, they came to learn that that pastor that they just happened upon was an old friend of mine. And so he said, you know, who's your pastor? And they said, well, David Roundtree is our pastor, and um, when they said that, they said, no way. David Roundtree is your pastor? He is a snake-killing maniac. Now, an introduction like that begs for a story. So they hung around knowing that a story was coming, and this pastor friend of mine said, yeah, we, David and I used to water ski. And there was this one particular afternoon, we were water skiing on Lake Hartwell, just up uh, north of the Clemson Bridge. And while David was water skiing, he saw this snake uh, going across the water. It was six feet long. And David went right over the top of that snake, trying to kill that snake with his slalom ski. And he looked back and saw it still squirming. So he threw up the ski rope and he dropped down eye level into the water with that snake. And he pulled off his slalom ski and he was thrashing in the water. And when we finally got the boat back to him, he comes up holding a dead snake. Now that's quite an introduction. But it's only partly true. Uh, apparently, that's how he remembered it, or that's certainly how he wanted to uh, live with the story. I don't like uh, snakes at all, and I, to my knowledge, have never run over the top of a uh, snake six feet long. That particular day, the reason I threw up the ski rope was because I was exhausted. I was tired. I didn't know a snake was in the lake. I threw up the ski rope, and while I'm waiting for the boat to come back, I do see this snake swimming towards me. So I start frantically moving because I want the boat to hurry up and come and get me out of the water before that snake gets to me. So as soon as the boat's there, I throw up my ski, I get into the boat. The boat driver then proceeded to the snake and used a boat paddle to kill the snake and bring the snake uh, into the boat. I don't like dead snakes. I don't like live snakes. I don't like snakes, period. I like good introductions, and that was a good one, but it wasn't true. James chapter 1, verse 1 is a great introduction, and it's all 
true. And I want you to see what we can learn from this, this first verse of James chapter 1 as it introduces us to three people going through a pandemic. It introduces us to the servant, to the Savior, and to the scattered. First of all, let's look at the servant that we are introduced to. It's James himself. James 1 verse 1 says, James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a significant phrase. Um, you don't hear many introductions today of me, of you, or anybody where the first thing that's out of our mouths in introducing others is this person is a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the introduction that God wants us to have of James. Now, it's pretty significant when you look at it from the perspective of James' peers. When they heard James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think they would have thought, whoa, that's an extremely significant statement. Let me take you into the time period, and let's look at some verses that describe James. Uh, go to Acts chapter 12, verse 17. Acts 12, verse 17 and, and 18. Here we have the story of um, Peter. He was uh, locked away in a prison, and he uh, is allowed to escape by God sending a, an angel to take him out of prison. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, and catch this, Peter said, report these things to James and the brethren. So when the great apostle Peter has this miraculous escape from prison, the one he wants to know all about what God has done is James and the brethren. James is one Peter submits to, runs to, uh, gives information of God and his work to. Uh, look at another verse in Acts. Acts 21, verse uh, 17 and 18. Here we have a story of the Apostle Paul. Acts 21, Paul was at Jerusalem. Verse 17, it says, And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James. And all the elders were present. So we have Peter going to James, uh, viewing James as the leader of the church. We have the Apostle Paul specifically saying when they got to Jerusalem, he went to James. James, again, is understood to be the leader, and all the elders were present. James, perhaps being the moderator, the, the leader even uh, among the elders that were there in Jerusalem. Uh, another passage, look at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. 
Paul describing his, his own uh, uh, salvation, his, his account, and um, he says, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. What Paul is basically saying there is um, it was recognized by the three pillars of the church that he should be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he specifically mentions those, those three pillars of the church. First, James, Peter, Cephas, and John. So, every, it says, and they were the reputed leaders. Everybody knew these were your key leaders. James, again, being first among them. Uh, chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 19 says, he said, I did not see any other of, of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. James was specifically uh, pointed out by Paul as the one that he saw, giving him credibility. So I've talked and I've spoken with James. James is a pillar of the church. So Peter goes to James. Paul goes to James for his reputation, for his leadership. And then I want you to see one other passage. Christ himself specifically points out James. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is the great resurrection passage. And it begins talking to us about all the people Jesus saw after his resurrection. Um, it says, uh, after he was raised on the third day, verse 4, verse 5 says, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, uh, speaking of Paul. It's interesting, though, James gets his own sentence, that Jesus is speaking to many people after his resurrection, grouped up in certain ways, but then he appeared to James. It's like Jesus, in the midst of his resurrection appearances, has this very private, specific, important meeting with James. James was pretty significant. God was going to use James to lead the Jerusalem church, to lead the elders in the church, to uh, instruct and lead Paul, to instruct and lead Peter. James was a ex significant individual in his day. Now, for him to stand up and say, I am a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like, whoa. That's not the words I expected to hear. I expected him to say, I am the leader. I am the one God has put forth as and exalted into this high status. But instead, he's introduced to us as a lowly servant. Now, that's especially needed, isn't it? In a time of a pandemic, what do we need most? Sure, we need good leadership, but we need servant leadership. We need those who are willing to serve. You know, how many of you seen one of our um, COVID 
19 shows uh, since the shelter-in-place order. It's been given to most of America. So as a result of that, we've had a number of artists, a number of uh, musicians, um, uh, actors, trying to talk show hosts, trying to do something from their shelter-in-place location to encourage America or to continue their um, their uh, their work in, in in some way. So there's been a, a number of those. I've seen some on Instagram, some Facebook, some on television. And the article usually comes out in the news the next day about the show that's taken place and how interesting it was to see people taping their show from their home. And it's these lavished uh, $20 million homes or $50 million or $100 million. And you look at these people who have obviously been exalted to a very high and wealthy place in society, and they are telling us they want to serve us. Well, we know most of these people still have their food brought to them. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to clean. They don't know how to take care of our needs. They always have somebody taking care of their needs. And that's just where they are in this wealthy tier in society. Well, when you look at James, he is also one of those people who is exalted in this wealthy tier of society. And he is the one who says, I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, whoa, wait, what? A servant? Really? That's James. James knew that when people are suffering, what they need is service. And James comes available, willing to service from his high place to a low place. Uh, we all want servants. At some time or another, we want someone to serve us. James says, I'm here as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As believers, we should all emulate this example. Um, we should be servants. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here's how we are described in our redemption. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says... Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I just want us to catch the language. You're not your own. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. We now belong, body and soul, to Christ Christ is our Lord, our Redeemer. James says, I am a servant to Christ who has purchased me with his own blood. Because he has purchased me, I am his servant. So I would expect James was one who, after his redemption in Christ, was one very willing to serve his wife, to serve his fellow elders, to serve his children to serve his neighbor, to serve those around him, the poor and the hungry. He was a leader 
during a pandemic persecution that he was a servant, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Evaluate your place, my place, during this COVID-19 pandemic that we're facing today. Is it a place of service? Are there not ways we can serve our spouse, ways we can serve our children, our parents, still serve people in our church, on our street, in our neighborhood, in our schools, our friends, our neighbors? When the pandemic's over, will anybody remember our identity in Christ and say, you know, during that pandemic... There was one person who stood out to me as a servant. They were always there serving. They were a bondservant of Christ and of their God. I remember in the pandemic, this person served me or that person served me. Will those stories be told? That's a person God greatly used, a person who understands his role of service for the kingdom of God. That was James. Second introduction we get in this uh, verse, James 1.1, 1, 1, is an introduction to the Savior. Described here as God and, he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is James serving? Obviously he's serving his God. His God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, perhaps a summary of of God and Christ, a great summary is found in Philippians 2. Let me read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, as we think about an introduction to God and Christ. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There you have an introduction to Christ, similar, I think, to the one you would have seen James give. That Christ was God. But as God, he still humbled himself and became a bondservant. Serving us, even to the point of death on a cross. He gave his life a ransom for ours. He was crucified that we might have our sins paid for, our punishment handled, so that we could be raised with Christ. And for that humble, sacrificial service, God highly exalted Christ to the status of Lord. Uh, You have three descriptions of Christ in James 1.1, that he was Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus means Savior. Christ means anointed one. Lord means you're in charge. You're the sovereign God. As sovereign God, 
as Savior, as the anointed one who stands in our place, Christ humbles himself and becomes a servant. That's the view James had of Christ. But it's not the view he always had of Christ. Uh, look at John 7, verses 1 through 5. James was one of the half-brothers of Jesus. And uh, it's interesting to uh, watch the development of Jesus' family as they begin to see Jesus' ministry. Here's, here's part of that. John 7, 1 through uh, 5. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because of the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea. That's where it just said, Jesus knew there were killers in Judea, so he, he doesn't want to go there. But his brothers think, you know, if, if you're going to be a big shot, that's where you need to go. You need to go do your thing in front of the Jews. Um, verse 4, for no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Remember, James is one of those half-brothers. There was a time in James' life when he did not believe in Christ. He had to gain a proper view of Christ, which is precisely why I think Christ, knowing that he was going to use James in leadership, took time out of his resurrection experiences and uh, meetings to privately meet with James. And teach James of the power of his resurrection and all that that meant uh, for James. Now, um, I, I remember uh, not long after I was saved, uh, just excited about reading my Bible and uh, growing in the knowledge of Christ. And I, I just hungered and thirst for more and more of God's Word, uh, wanting to know my God more and more, better and better. And there was this one particular person I, I wanted to hang out with because he was just so smart, and he seemed to have all the answers from the Scripture. And one day I went to church with him, and I, I watched him sit in church, and I watched him sit in Sunday school, and after it was all over, I asked him, I said, do you ever get bored in church or in Sunday school, because obviously the, the preacher we heard this morning, the Sunday school teacher we heard uh, after that, both of those people, in my humble estimation, are far inferior to you. You know so much more of the Bible than they do. You're so much further along in your faith than they are. So, Sitting under their teaching, does, doesn't that just kind of bore you when you already know the answers and you could say it better or, or do it better than, than they? Um, and he immediately said, oh, no, 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 not at all. And I thought, really? Uh, why is that? He said, well, he says, you don't understand. He says, uh, growing in Christ, is, it's not just about gaining knowledge. Gaining knowledge is important. We need to know the Word of God. 
He says, but the knowledge is only a tool to enable you to engage more with Christ and to engage with Christ's people. He says, when I go to church, I'm there to engage with Christ. And I can do that no matter who's preaching or teaching. I, I get into God's words and the thoughts and I engage with Christ. And I, I'm there to engage with the people of God. To encourage them in their presence and their teaching and ministry. It encourages me. So together we are growing in Christ. He says, that's never boring. That's always thrilling. It's such a joy to be with Christ and his people when we engage together. It's not about us just gaining knowledge. It's about us being the servants God has called us to be to Christ, to one another, and then it's reciprocated. We get it as well. It's always a thrilling service. Consider your view of Christ if you're ever bored Consider your view of Christ if you're ever not serving. I think if we have a small service and a small joy, it's because our view of Christ is small. You see, James had a very high and exalted view of Christ. James had a, a view where he, there was a time where he didn't even believe Jesus was the Christ. But then after Christ's death and burial and resurrection, James knew Christ was his all in all. God exalted him to the place that everyone should bow down and humble themselves under Christ. When we have a high view of Christ as our Lord, as the anointed one, as our Savior, and we're willing to serve others, a high view of Christ helps us Destroy our pride and our selfishness so that we're more willing to serve and minister to others. Um, let's renew our mind in those things. Who is Christ? He's the one to be glorified, the one to be surrendered to, uh, we should be submissive to, the one we should serve. James, a bond servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We must acknowledge Christ's sovereignty over us and in and in times of pandemic, we sometimes are tempted to have a small view of Christ, that Christ is not involved in this. Whereas you heard from last week's sermon, no, God is sovereign over COVID-19. God often ordains afflictions and pain like COVID-19 for the world. And once we understand God's high and exalted place over the pandemic, then we begin to function as his servants in the pandemic. Well, we've been introduced to James, to Christ. One other introduction in James 1, verse 1, and that's to the scattered. It says in the last part of the verse, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. They're scattered abroad. Now, to understand these people that James is addressing, the audience to the letter of James, we need to understand how they got scattered. Uh, look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And it's, it's easy to remember it. it um, well, I, I, let's start with Acts 1, verse 8. And then we'll flip it and do Acts 8, verse 1. Acts 1, verse 8 says, Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he's ascended into heaven. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. All right, so the disciples are, have been taught by Christ to hang out in Jerusalem till they receive the Holy Spirit. They do so, and it says, after you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll start witnessing, you'll, you'll clearly be my people in Jerusalem, and then you'll move to Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. Well, they're still hanging out in Jerusalem for quite a while when God orders persecution to scatter them. That comes right after Stephen was stoned at the end of Acts 7. And then we get to Acts 8, verse 1. And it says this, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that Stephen, to death. Now, Saul at this point was being paid by the government to go find Anybody that said they were a Christian and lock them in jail. He and he was in hearty agreement with even killing them, putting them to death like Stephen. And says, so on that day when Stephen was stoned to death, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now that's who James is talking to. People who were in Jerusalem that because of this persecution are now, uh, the uh, word that we found in James 1.1 1, 1 was dispersed. They're now dispersed. They're scattered to Judea and to Samaria. Um, and it's because of persecution, because of a pandemic. They are pandemic persecuted believers. They have people like Saul, like the Roman government, like uh, jealous Jews, Pharisees, and scribes that are out to persecute and kill them. They have even Gentiles, Roman Gentiles, that are out to kill them. They are a persecuted people. They uh, are called 12 tribes. Why the 12 tribes? Um, Twelve tribes was a, a Jewish term that James would have been familiar with. All of these people would have been familiar with. Uh, but the, the word begins to change as the New Testament is written beyond just twelve tribes to the word brethren. As a matter of fact, in the letter of James, he introduces them as twelve tribes. And then he calls them his brethren 19 times in a very short letter. So 12 tribes simply means my people or the people of God. It's, it was a term to describe the people of God from the Old Testament. So we have a reference to the Old Testament past and we have a reference to the New Testament future to the brethren, to the people of God as we are now scattered and dispersed from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. So what's the lesson? These people are... Scattered abroad means they're a needy people. Their trip was not a planned trip. They're not on a vacation. They've been run out of Jerusalem. They've been run out of their home. It's like dad coming home says, they're coming to capture us. They're going to destroy us. They're going to stone us like Stephen or throw us in jail. We've got to get out of Jerusalem. So you gather up what you can and you, you flee. What are you looking for? What do you need? Well, now you need a new house, a new place to stay. You need shelter. You need groceries. 
You need um, fellowship. You need somebody to support you. You need a church. They are needy people because of their pandemic, their persecution. They are rejected. They need someone to embrace them, to accept them. Uh, And they are being told by this introduction, you are embraced. You're part of the 12 tribes. You're part of the people of God. You're the brethren that even though James saying, I'm stuck in Jerusalem, you're still my brethren, though you're scattered physically far from me. They need spiritual leadership. As you go through the book of James, uh, James begins to describe them as, as people who are facing trial. We'll look at the trial, verses 2 through 12, next, next time. But then they face temptation, and they need wisdom from on high, how to face this pandemic that they're in. Um, they need fellowship. One of the temptations when you run to another place is to gravitate towards the rich people. Those people perhaps can take care of you better than poor people. And so James 2, uh, the second chapter, he deals with our preferences for our partiality towards people, especially people of wealth. Uh, and uh, our seeking people to uh, do us favors. Uh, chapter 3 and 4, he, he's dealing in James with uh, lessons on a loose tongue, on quarreling, on greed and pride. Have you noticed uh, in our COVID-19 panic uh, how your speech is becoming strained? Have you noticed that there's a stress that we're all under? And under this stress, we don't speak to one another as well as we once did or as well as we should. It's easy to get stressed and to lose a control over our tongue and to start to quarrel with one another, uh, to fight about things simply because we're hurting and we turn inward. We're selfish and we're prideful that we deserve certain things. Chapter 3 and 4 of James, dealing with all those particular issues. Chapter 5, you have the issues of materialism. Yes, we need new materials. The, the issue of patience, the issue of suffering and the need of prayer, the need of purity, the need of elder rule in our churches. James is addressing a scattered people that are very much a needy people. All of these pandemic problems addressed here in this letter. Did you notice the first word James specifically addresses to these pandemic people? It's kind of interesting. Catches you perhaps a little off guard. Go back to James 1, verse 1. After he says, I'm writing to the 12 tribes who had dispersed abroad. One word. Greetings. Now, the word greetings there literally means rejoice. So, as he's addressing a pandemic people, the first word he wants them to hear is greetings in the sense of great joy, rejoicing. So, you you have to say greetings with a big smile. Greetings. Rejoice. And if you're a pandemic person like me, you're saying, what? Really? Rejoice? That's not the word I would have expected to be your first word in addressing needy people. 
suffering people, hurting people. Yet, that's the word he uses. Why? And I think you have a hint, a clue in this description of being 12 tribes, being brethren, the people of God. You can rejoice. Why? Because you're still the complete people of God. You're still God's people. You're still the brethren, the brothers of Christ Himself. I remember um, in my last year in college, uh, I had a, um, I used to do a lot of caving and uh, spelunking, and I caught a virus. And uh, the virus attacked uh, my internal organs. It developed into pleurisy, that grew into pneumonia, and then attacked the outer uh, lining of my lung. Uh, my lung collapsed, went to the hospital, and uh, I was in the hospital for three weeks. Had to do surgery to cut it out. By the way, that uh, attacking of my lungs, the, the, the surgeon says the only thing we can determine as the cause of this is somehow you were infected from a bat in the cave. Just as the coronavirus today is still suspected that it's a, it's a virus disease that came from bats to us. Well, this one didn't attack the inside of my lungs like the COVID-19 does, but it attacked the outside of my lungs. had to be removed. I was in the hospital for three weeks, and then at bed rest at home for another three weeks. So I was missing six weeks of a 15-week schedule uh, at college. So how do, how do you survive uh, a semester by missing six weeks. It was a difficult time. And I remember getting a card from um, some of my college classmates. And the first word of the card when I opened it up was rejoice. I said, really? Rejoice? And then they followed up the word rejoice with this line. Though you cannot be physically present with us, you're still a part of us, and we love you. And then everyone in the class signed their names. Is that not what James is saying? He said, greetings, rejoice, needy, suffering, pandemic people. Because you're still, though you're physically scattered from us, you're still a part of us. You're our brethren. You're the 12 tribes. You're the people of God. You're still held by His grace in His care. We have been physically separated, physically distanced, but we are not removed from our fellowship and our unity in Christ. We need that kind of encouragement. We need to remember that we are special members of the family of God. How many people do you know that need to hear, rejoice, you belong to Christ. You are a part of the special family of God. Perhaps you know some people who are suffering very needy during this pandemic time. I encourage you, why don't you pick out five? This week, send them a text, send them an email, Mail them a card. 
somehow communicate with them that you're thinking of them, actually pray for them, and then encourage them to rejoice. To rejoice. Because they are special. They are your family. Though they are physically separated from you, they're your brother, your sister, your mother, your father in Christ. Encourage them with that message. And let us continue to strengthen and build up those around us in difficult times. Every time a sinner gets the Savior, becomes redeemed in Christ, he becomes a saint, he becomes a servant. How does that happen? It happens when we have a right understanding of who we are in Christ, and that happens when we have a right understanding of who God is. Perhaps our greatest need during this pandemic is a right view of God and a right view of ourselves. Christ is our Lord, our Redeemer, our Savior, the Anointed One who takes care of His people. We are His saints, special, made special by Him, but we are His servants to serve those around us as His bondservants. And God will greatly bless and advance and use us in that cause. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for real flesh, pandemic people we could look at in the Bible today to begin to evaluate our place in the pandemic we face. Help us, Lord, to see the need to be yours, your saints, redeemed by you, the need to continue to exalt you, to worship you, to adore you as our Savior, our anointed one. And Father, keep us from hunkering down in such an isolated fashion that we cease serving others. Make it so that we are known as bond servants of God, that we are actively serving our spouses, our children, our parents, our grandparents, our extended family, our friends, the people that we come in contact with, Make us good at representing you to them as a glorious Savior in this difficult time. Lord, we love you. We love one another because of you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.